All right, welcome back to THN on the O. I am Tony Ferrari, joined by my co-host Brock Otten. And how were your holidays, Brock? Ah, uh, they were fantastic. How are yours, Tony? They were good. Uh, they were good. Good time with family and all that stuff. And the World Juniors happened, so I figured we'd start there, getting back into the OHL this week. And we went over some three, the three stars from the OHL at the World Juniors. And uh, who do we have for the first star? Yeah, we went with Brant Clark. I don't know if this was like a necessarily easy decision. I think Brant Clark had an okay tournament, but there weren't really too many standouts from the OHL at the tournament itself. And I think the fact that Clark had such a, a standout gold medal game, I, I think really, uh, really helped solidify his place. Yeah, I feel, felt like giving Clark the first star was warranted due to getting the, getting the gold, the standout game. And I, I felt like his tournament improved as, as it went on. He started off a little slow. But once they got to those elimination games, he was probably their highest-end defenseman. Even with Zellweger there playing as good as he was, it was really fun to watch Clark's game. So gave him the first star, but we couldn't not give a guy from Chechia a star. And who was the guy for us uh, second star? Yeah, Matjes Sapovalov. Uh, yeah, Czechia was was great in the tournament, and he was one of the primary play drivers for, for them, for the Czechs. And uh, he's had a good year for Saginaw as well and has been a main part of their offensive attack. Yeah, it's been really nice seeing his offensive game kind of blossom, and it did really at the tournament. The goal the goal scoring wasn't necessarily there, but the playmaking was, and that's something that I, I was hoping to see from him this year because his two-way game is really good. He was always reliable on the penalty kill. He was always reliable defensively. Seeing him kind of rack up a little few points at the World Juniors, I think he had seven assists. It was really nice to see. And as for the third star, I, I split it between a couple of guys. Uh, we gave it to Philip Mishar and Shane Wright. What did you think of their tournaments? Yeah, so Shane Wright, I felt like, similar to how you mentioned with Brent Clark, uh, improved sort of as the tournament went on. I think the same happened with Shane Wright. And I think the reality is both of these guys just hadn't been playing a ton in the NHL, right? And even with some conditioning stints in the AHL, it's been a pretty disjointed season for both of them. So it's no surprise that it took them a little bit to get comfortable. And I think Shane Wright really got better as that tournament went along. And Mishar, I think... Uh, was a little bit more inconsistent. I think he was kind of up and down across the tournament, but overall uh, was was pretty solid. Um, was there when when Slovakia needed him most? I, I thought he elevated his game when he needed to, and I think those two deserve to be tied for that third star. Yeah, I think both of them get that third star because they both had some big game moments and big moments for both for both their nations. And Shane Wright scoring that goal in the gold medal game kind of gave us a little preview of. Hopefully what we'll see in the OHL now that he's back there as the Kraken loaned him and the Kings loaned Brant Clark back to the OHL. Clark's going back to the Colts, but we have seen Shane Wright get traded, and that kind of goes right into our next topic. The OHL trade deadlines happened. It came and went. Tons of big trades. The OHL was crazy as always. Shane Wright's a big name off the board. He went for Ethan Medina. Uh, Gavin McCarthy and seven draft picks, one second and one third included to, uh, for the high draft picks in that trade. What did you think of that trade initially? And what do you think of Windsor as a landing spot? Yeah, so initially uh, I was I was pretty happy with, with the return for Kingston. Obviously, Ethan Miedema is, is a quality young player for them to build around. But then sort of the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, you know, they didn't really get too many high-end draft picks back for right. When you look at some of the draft picks that were going around for some of these other players that moved, the packages weren't really as strong or, or the package itself wasn't as strong as some of the other ones that we've seen. Um, I still think it was a decent deal um, for Kingston, especially, and obviously for Windsor 
too. Um, I think it's a great landing spot for Windsor. You have specifically been talking about Windsor needing a real difference maker on offense with Wyatt Johnson sticking in Dallas. And they managed to play well this year without really having that um, primary play driving center. Ryan Abraham's been sort of injured uh, a lot this year and they've still played well. Now they've got Shane Wright entering that lineup. I'm pretty excited to see how they play. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to see him in Windsor. I'm going to go to the first game tomorrow uh, as we're recording this on Wednesday the 11th. But he's going to be a difference maker. I think that was one of my wishes for Windsor is that they would get one. And we talked about Brett Harrison being the guy who ended up did end up going there as well. But Shane Wright going to Windsor was a huge deal for them. I think that's the big thing. And the big thing, like you mentioned, is they didn't have to give up as much as I thought. As soon as I heard Shane Wright possibly going to Windsor, Minimo was right, expected to be in the deal by me and by you. I think we were texting about it and we we're wondering what else would go. And obviously no first round picks being traded in the OHL. So we're like, oh, it's going to be a few seconds, a few thirds. It only ended up being one second, one third, and then a bunch of fourth and sixth. So it was kind of an underwhelming return for Kingston in terms of, like you said, the returns around the league and other guys who we'll talk about. But it's a great deal for Windsor. Shane Wright was going to be moved. There was no way he was staying in Kingston as it was. So I, I personally, I love seeing him come to Windsor. It's going to be fun to watch him live here a bunch. Yeah, I agree. And I think the real wild card there is obviously Gavin McCarthy. He was the other player that Kingston got back in this deal. He's playing in the USHL right now. He's he's a potential top 50 pick for, for this year's draft. A really good two-way defenseman. He's got a commitment in the NCAA. I don't I haven't heard anything about him being really interested in the OHL route, but maybe Kingston knows something we don't, and maybe they have sort of some sort of inside look at that. Uh, I don't know. If they can get him to commit, this deal looks really good for them because now they've got two young pieces that they can build around moving forward. Um, as is, though, yeah, I agree. I, at first, I, I kind of liked the deal, and the more I looked at it, the more I'm like, well, you know, in comparison, yeah, the the draft pick boatload, for lack of a better term, just wasn't the same compared to some other deals. Yeah, it was kind of a lot of picks, but not a lot of high-end picks. And then in in on kind of the flip side, for the Brett Harrison deal coming from Oshawa to Windsor, who another trade we'll talk about next, there was two second rounders and two third rounders that came to that in that deal with five picks total. What did you think about that pick? And, and we talked about this last time we, we talked right before the holidays, Brett Harrison being a good target for Windsor. What did you think about this landing spot? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great landing spot with him and Windsor. He's a very uh, versatile forward. I think he's going to fit in really well with that lineup. Uh, just gives him another top six weapon who can play in all situations. And somebody with positional versatility as well. He can play center. He can play the wing. So it gives the coaching staff in Windsor a lot of different options on how to employ him. Uh, in terms of the return for Oshawa, I think Windsor did great not being or not having to give up a, another young player for Harrison. Or obviously that deal happened before Shane Wright, but just having to give up picks. I think anytime that you can do that in the OHL, even if it's a mountain of picks, it's still better to give those up, in my opinion, than a young forward who's already contributing or a young defenseman who's already contributing in your lineup. And you know, looks really good at the OHL level already. And we saw so many of those guys move at the deadline. And we're going to chat about them very soon. Yeah, I think it's really interesting for Windsor because, like you said, the positional versatility, the ability to kind of go, all right, who's Matt Maggio playing with now? Is he going to be with Wright? Is he going to be with Harrison? Are they going to load up all three at times to really kind of push offensive games that way? It's going to be really interesting to see what Windsor does going forward. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it live tomorrow night. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exciting, Tony. But let's get to uh, another team that made a bunch of news. 
and that's the Ottawa 67s. They traded for Pavel Minchukov, top scoring defenseman in the AOHL. I think the second or third highest scoring scoring player in the OHL period for nine draft picks, four seconds. And I think three thirds were included in the deal. what do you think of the deal for both sides? And what do you think about the landing spot for Pavel? It's a great landing spot. Uh, honestly, great landing spot for Michikov. It's when I was doing my own sort of deadline preview for, for my site, it, that was the landing spot that I thought made the most sense. Ottawa has played really, really well this year, um, but they've, kind of got Henry Muse, a young defenseman in the league, taking on sort of the primary responsibility as a play driver from the back end. Jack Mateer, uh, you know, has taken on that role as well this year, but I think he's probably most comfortable when he can play uh, more of a solid two-way role and not be that main focal point. So it allows them to really strengthen their back end. And Michikov, you and I have talked about him a whole bunch this year. He's been one of the best players in the OHL, the best defenseman in the OHL this year. The fact that they were not forced to give up uh, a young player, like, say, Frankie Morelli or Muse, in return for Michikov is great, too, um, because now Ottawa is still going to be strong. They're still going to have a strong blue line moving forward in the future years as well. Yeah, it's a lot of picks. Um, yes, it's also an import player who's playing in his final year in the league, but it's a great deal for Ottawa. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great deal for Ottawa, getting a guy like Minchikov to put that team over the top. Because like you said, they started so hot, and they've continued to be hot through the new year. I think we were both kind of waiting for them at the start of the year to cool down a bit, and they haven't really done that. So going out and getting Pavel Minchikov, like I said, a top three scorer in the league, the top scoring defenseman by double-digit numbers. I think it's by 12 or 13 points at this point in the season. It's a huge difference maker for that team who – when you look at their roster, you go, yeah, this guy's scoring, this guy's scoring, that guy's scoring, Luca Pinelli's doing a lot, so-and-so. Where's the true difference maker? And I think that's where, where Minchikov comes in and does his thing. And like you said, nine draft picks, it's a lot. But you didn't have to give up Henry Muse. You didn't have to give up another young player. That's huge. And they went out and they were like, you know what? Why get one top three scoring player? Let's get a second. And they grabbed Logan Morrison from the Hamilton Bulldogs. Not quite as big a deal. It was only six picks, but it was two seconds and two-thirds. What did you think about the landing spot for Morrison? And, and what do you think about the fit there? Because I think it's really interesting up front. I think it's a great fit. I think now you've got Ottawa positioned with two really good OA players down the middle, right? You've got Cam Tolnai, who's had a really good year for the 67s. And you've got Logan Morrison coming in, who has been one of the better players in the OHL this year. He's fresh off a championship victory last year with Hamilton. Has a ton of experience. These two are, are going to dictate play down the middle. And it gives the 67s. A little bit more versatility. They can move Vincent Roar sort of back to the wing if they want to. Obviously, they can play him in a different role as well. Um, it gives them a lot of options and it makes them very deep. And like you said, this was a team that went from excelling without those true veteran difference makers to now having two of them. And that that can only make this team better. And in my opinion, they were already the best team in the OHL, and now they've added these two. And Logan Morrison is the big wild card difference maker here. I think that because he's he's an OA, he doesn't get the same sort of hype that some of these others de other deals have gotten, right? Uh, because they're more NHL prospects, whereas Logan Morrison isn't. He does he wasn't drafted. He's still currently a free agent. Um, 
But we're not talking about the NHL here. We're talking about the OHL and the difference that these players can make for a playoff run. And, and Logan Morrison might have the biggest impact of any player acquired at this deadline. There's that chance. Yeah, I think you look back to his experience last year with the Hamilton Bulldogs. He was the leading goal scorer in the playoffs, the playoff MVP for the Bulldogs, going all the way to the Memorial Cup. Uh, wasn't quite the finish they wanted there, but at the end of the day, they looked like a powerhouse last year, the Bulldogs did, and Logan Morrison was a huge part of that. And I think he can come into Ottawa and be just as big a part in their run and going deep in the playoffs this year. I think it's going to be really interesting to see those two guys kind of take this team over the top because, like you said, they didn't have that veteran difference maker being the guy, I think, and that's a big thing with them is they were relying on Muse. They were relying on Pinelli. They were relying on guys like that, and, Yes, Vincent Rohr is really good. Jack Matier is really good. They're doing their thing. But if you can get them to step back into a role that they're probably a little more suited for, it's only going to make this Ottawa team scarier down the stretch and, and really, really scary in the playoffs. And playoff experience is super important here too, right? We're looking at an Ottawa team that has exceeded expectations based on their age this year. I think a lot of people expected this team to be good but not great this year. And it was because – you know, they're not a team that is being carried by OAs and O3s. And now you add Logan Morrison and Minchikov, obviously, into the fold, and you've got a player who was fantastic, probably the best player in the OHL playoffs last year, uh, into that fold, into that mix. And that's going to elevate the player, uh, the others around him in the playoffs too, because he's going to have that experience. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. But let's move on to Mississauga making some moves and kind of in the opposite direction. They've, they've gone the retool and rebuild route. They moved out Ethan Del Master and Luca Del Belbaluz right to the Sarnia Sting. And they got Porter Martone, Angus McDonald, and three picks, including a second rounder. What did you think about the deal? And what do you think about uh, the fit for those two in Sarnia? Well, it's a massive deal, right? These are two really, really good players in the OHL, two good uh, prospects as well. And they did really well to get two quality young players and draft picks in this move. Um, Angus McDonald is McDonald, sorry, is is a future captain in the OHL, in my opinion. I've I've heard other people reference that. And he's somebody who I think is going to fit in really well in Mississauga. And Porter Mortone is a really high-end uh, NHL draft prospect in the future, one of the best young players, one of the best young forwards in the OHL, in my opinion. Uh, we saw his play at the under-17s and how strong he was when compared to his age group. And I think that Mississauga has done a really good job to build towards the future and quickly. I think that with what they've done at this deadline, they're going to be able to be pretty decent already next year again. Um, and it's going to be exciting to watch that team grow over the second half of the season where these younger players are going to get a little bit more responsibility. As for the Sarnia end of the deal, I mean, you can't argue with what they've brought in. They've kind of struggled a little bit keeping pucks out of their net. Some of it's goaltending, some of it's defense. Ethan Del Mastro is going to help that. And Luca Del Belbaluz, a really good offensive player. Um, somebody, again, with some positional versatility. Yes, he's best uh, at center, but he does have some flexibility there. And their power play has been absolutely atrocious this year. Christian Cairo is going to help. Uh, that was a previous acquisition, obviously. But adding Del Belbaluz is great for that as well. And I think that it's going to strengthen this team. Yeah, I think when you looked at Ethan Del Mastro at the World Juniors, he was Canada's best all-around defenseman throughout from start to finish at that tournament. I thought he was so quietly one of the top players of that tournament, despite only getting three points, if I'm not mistaken. He really took on that role of being that defensive player. And 
I think he's going to be able to do that for Sarnia going forward. I think that's a really big part of this deal is how solid he's just going to kind of come in, quietly make that back end good. And he has the ability to move the puck when needed. And then, like you said, Delbo Blues, it's going to add some offensive punch to that lineup that already has quite a few players with Pash, Job, and Boyd up there that can do that. As for Mississauga, like you said, Porter Martone was the highest scoring Canadian, third highest scoring scorer at the under 17s. He's a really, really good addition, I think, for them. And then a few draft picks as well for a couple of guys that you probably weren't going to have around for much longer on your team anyways. So I think it's a really good deal for both sides. And uh, as for Mississauga, they made another deal, trading another high, high-end player, a player that we saw at the World Juniors, coming in late, Owen Beck, the injury replacement for Team Canada. And this deal was a big one, too. They, they traded Jack Van Volsen, Justin, De, Justin DeZote, and four picks, two seconds and a third. Big deal for Owen Beck, one of the best face-off men in the OHL, one of the best centers in the OHL, plays a really projectable game. What did you think about that as he goes to Peterborough? Yeah, again, I think Mississauga did really well for themselves. Uh, Jack Van Volsen is a really good young player. He's a former uh, U16 teammate of, of Martone in the Toronto Junior Canadians program. Um, so there's obviously some chemistry there, which is going to be important to sort of build upon moving forward. I think that obviously Mississauga was slightly worried that Owen Beck would stick in the uh, NHL next year with Montreal. He was, I, I'm not going to say he was close this year, but everybody knew. And there was so much hype around his camp with the Canadians and how well he played. Now, there is a chance that he does stick. And if he does, then Mississauga gets nothing for him. So if you're going to rebuild or retool or whatever you're going to call it, I mean, you might as well move out on Beck too if you're going to get that kind of package and not take the chance that he does crack the NHL next year. And on the flip side, it's a, it's a good bet for Peterborough too because Beck is going to come in and he's going to really elevate that lineup. They're playing incredible hockey right now and Beck is the type of player who's going to fit in anywhere. Um, and he's, I, we keep throwing out the word versatile, but that's what he is, right? He can play the penalty kill. He can play the power play. He can be out there protecting a lead. He can be out there when you need a goal. Um, just a really good all around player. And he's going to fit in really well in that lineup. Now, if he doesn't make the NHL next year and he returns to Peterborough and Peterborough is saying, okay, you know, we're looking at more of a retool. They're going to be able to trade on back again and get back quality young player that they would have lost in this deal. Some of the picks that they would have lost in this deal. So it's a really solid win-win situation, I think, for all the teams all around here. Yeah, I think we've talked about the positional versatility with guys like Del Blues and, and, and others in the deal like Brett Harrison. But with Owen Beck, it's the versatility for him to be able to play center in any of the spots that up, your, up and down your lineup. You need him to come and be your first or second line center. He's perfectly fine. If he slots in as your third line center, he's got the game to do it. I think he is so much that he can do. And like you said, penalty kill, power play, protecting a lead, needing a goal. He's got so much to his game. I think he's a really good asset to have in Peterborough. And like you said, if Peterborough is good next year, great. You have Owen Beck if he comes back. If Peterborough is not good, great. You have an asset that you're going to be able to move for a pretty big package and recoup your recoup the assets you traded out for him this year. So it's a really good deal, in my opinion, for him. Uh, let's move on to Hamilton trading out uh, Avery Hayes and Gavin White to Peterborough as well. They get back Nick Lardis, Sahil, Sahil Panwar, and two draft picks, including a third-round pick. Now, I think there's a sneaky chance that Nick Lardis, a draft eligible for this year's draft, could be a really, really good player as he goes back to Hamilton. But what do you think about the Peterborough side of this deal? Yeah, I think that everybody knew that Peterborough was going to try to elevate or improve their OA situation. 
you're a competitive team in the OHL, that's something that is always going to be a target. You want to have the best OA group in the league. Um, Because time and time again, the teams with the best OA group are the teams that make deep runs in the OHL playoffs. And kind of like how we mentioned with Logan Morrison going to Ottawa and that experience really helping. Now you've got two more players from that championship Hamilton team going to Peterborough and really elevating the depth of that team. I think on paper, this Pete's team now has the deepest offense the deepest forward group in the OHL. I'm not even sure that can be debated, to be honest. I think that this forward group is incredibly deep. How they gel together, that's going to be on the coaching staff, obviously. But again, they're playing really well. Avery Hayes is a a relentless puck count. He's the type of player who's going to go in there and he's going to work hard and he fits that sort of mold that some of the other players on that team have, like Tucker Robertson, uh, like Brennan Offman, like um chase stillman right there's a lot of players on that team who fit that same kind of mold and gavin white is that puck moving defenseman that they needed uh, i think peterborough really needed somebody who can transition um from defense to offense and i think he's going to really help there he's a little bit of a riverboat gambler at times there can be some issues with with turnovers and, and defensive play but I, I think they have the the supporting cast to surround him and, and make him successful similar to the way that he was in, in hamilton and on the flip side, I agree. Nick Lardis is, is a great young building block. Anytime that you can get a really good young player back for overagers, uh, it's a success because there's a limited market. Uh, when you look at the market for players like Hayes and, and White, there just weren't a lot of teams in the OHL who had the OA room or you know, probably the desire to switch out OAs. Peterborough was probably one of the only ones. And the fact that they were able to get a really good scoring winger in Lardis back for those two, uh, is great. It's great for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I think Nick Lardis is one of the most underrated 2023 draft-eligible prospects from the OHL this year. He's a really fun player to watch. I think he's going to be a guy that possibly takes a rise, especially after this trade, getting a little bit more room to run in Hamilton and, and kind of putting himself on display. And like you said, the, the additions of the, the experience of the playoffs is going to be huge for Peterborough, who, like you said, is going to be one of the most exciting teams to watch in the second half of this OHL season. Uh, going on to the next trade, though, we've got a couple more. Danny Jokin goes from Guelph to Kitchener for Jesse Fishman and six draft picks, including two th- seconds and three thirds. Big package for Danny Jokin. What did you think of that? about that? Yeah, big package. Obviously, Kitchener is trying to keep up. They're kind of sliding a little bit. They're, they're trying to claw their way back up the West standings, but easier said than done. It's a tough conference, and now you've got all these other teams in your conference loading up, and you're trying your best to keep up with them. So you've got to make another move. And Danny Zilkin is somebody who continues to round out that forward group in Kitchener, makes them even stronger. He's somebody who can play in all situations too, plays with pace, can really push it, uh, loves to attack the net. And I think he's going to fit in really well in Kitchener. It's kind of like a nice change of pace from their other top center in Francesco Pinelli, who plays sort of a different style of game. So it allows them to have some different looks on offense. Kind of pushes Carson Raycroft, uh, Raycroft down the lineup a little bit too, making them a little bit deeper and giving them three really good balanced lines. Um, in terms of Guelph, uh, you know, we probably saw Zilkin moving. It was going to happen with them making some moves earlier this year and then disappointing in the standings. So they get some draft picks recouped. They take a chance on Fishman, who's had some injury issues in the league so far, but does have some potential to be uh, an eventual strong player in the league. I think he's somebody that could improve uh, as he ages, um, you know, maybe eventually being a pretty good OA for the Storm. And if he isn't, at least you get some good draft picks back for Zilkin, who's obviously not going to be in the league next year or be in the AHL. 
Yeah, I think Danny Jokin going was kind of writing on the wall. Good player, goes to Kitchener, like you said, gives them a little bit of pace and, and like you said, the speed that necessarily Pinelli doesn't play with. Pinelli's more tactical. Uh, Jokin will attack you with speed and everything. So it's going to be a fun mix in, in Kitchener. I think the big thing for them is finding consistency because that's been what they struggle with all year. And maybe now that Jokin's in the lineup, they'll be able to have a little bit more of that. So uh, moving on to our last trade of the, of the pile that we have here, uh, Ryan Winterton and Ryan Humphrey go from Hamilton to London for Carson Lloyd, Luca Testa, and a second-round pick. Not as big a return as we've seen from some of the other deals, but it's still a pretty solid uh, trade for, for the London Knights. Yeah, look, I keep seeing and reading on social media and on websites that the London Knights are the big loser of, of the trade deadline. And, and maybe that's the case because there are some other teams loading up. They obviously didn't land Shane Wright. They didn't land some of you know the big fish, uh, for lack of a better term. And for those that can't see and just are listening, I did the quotation mark. Um, <laughs> look, Ryan Winterton hasn't played this year because he's had a shoulder injury, but Anybody who watched that championship run with the Bulldogs last year knows that he is an impact player. And Ryan Humphrey is, is a Bulldog. He's a type of player who's going to play in the middle six. And he is the type of player that you win championships with. And I know that's cliche, but both of these players, I think, give London a look that they were missing this year. When you look at that London lineup, this is a smaller, younger forward group. They're relying on Denver Barkey. They're relying on Easton Cowan. They're relying on Brody Crane. They're relying on... Uh, smaller attacking players. This gives them uh, another look with Winterton and Humphrey playing that sort of power game. Uh, Winterton in particular, and if he can come back and show no ill effects from that shoulder injury and really hit stride before the playoffs, that's going to make the Sun Knights team just as dangerous as if they had acquired somebody else. Um, and again, there's championship pedigree there, right? These are two guys who won a championship last year with Hamilton. Were really good in that run as well. And I think that they're Dale Hunter players. Uh, and I, I think that's why London made this move. And uh, I think that this is the type of move that is being underrated. I, I wouldn't say the London Knights had the best trade deadline uh, of any of the teams, but I definitely don't think that they were a loser for lack of a better term. Yeah, I don't think that they're a loser, but I think the perception out there is they were in on right. They were in on Minchukov. They were in on a few other guys. And it was out there that they were in. It wasn't something that was quietly behind the closed doors. Everyone was talking about how about it. I think there was a couple people that reported that uh, the London Knights had secured Shane Wright. It was, the deal was all but done, and it, it didn't end up being done, unfortunately, for the London Knights. And uh, he ended up going to Windsor. So I think that's where the perception comes from. But I do think this is a solid deal. I think their lineup was good. They're a team that I think this is still a transition year for the London Knights. They are going to be better next year. They're going to be better moving forward. And even though they're never going to be a team that steps fully back, this is what the London Knights consider a rebuild year at the end of the day. So if you're still adding a player like Logan Morrison, who hopefully can get healthy and contribute, and, and this be your down year, and as I use the quotation marks myself, then I think you're pretty happy as a London Knights fan. Yeah, I agree. And again, uh, who would have thought we'd be at this place in time talking about the Knights in this fashion, right? When Earlier in the year, we were talking about them selling off assets because they started so poorly. And now we're talking about them adding two championship players from, from the Bulldogs who can try to elevate this team to another championship this year, right? So uh, I think it, it's it's going to be great for London regardless of what happens because they're going to give some of these younger players some experience in the playoffs. And 
I think Winterton and Humphrey give London a chance to go deep. All right. You, you mentioned the losers there and I figured we get some winners and losers. Now we'll each do two winners and one loser. So let's start off with your first winner. Yeah, I got to go with the auto six of sevens. The, the 67s managed to add two fantastic players. In my opinion, two of the biggest difference makers available this year, and they didn't have to give up any of their young players. And this is substantial because Ottawa has drafted really well in recent years. And now this franchise is set up for not just a run this year, but they're going to be good next year, and they're going to be good the year after that. And if they continue to draft well, you know, now we're, we're avoiding that typical cycle of junior hockey where the team is good for two, three, four years, and then there's a retool, rebuild rinse, repeat. And now without having to move some of those younger players, like say Peterborough did or Sarnia did where, you know, they, they've had to, to gut their group of young players on the roster for these runs. Ottawa hasn't. So Ottawa got way better. They're still the best team in the league and they've kept all of their young players. Yes. They had to give up, give up draft picks. So be it. I mean, uh, it's hard to argue with them, you know, not being uh, one of the substantial winners of this deadline. Yeah, I agree with you. Ottawa was going to go down on my list too if I didn't see him on yours already. So my big winner is the Windsor Spitfires because when you go for it, you got to go for it hard, and that's exactly what they did. They they ended up giving Ethan Medema, who's a guy who, yeah, is one of those young players that you mentioned that that teams had to move for a, a player. But they didn't have to give up a bunch of draft picks for Shane Wright. So it was nice to see them give up later round picks and Ethan Medema and then Gavin McCarthy, who if he goes over, then it's an even bigger deal. But they get Shane Wright, who's a huge difference maker, a guy that can come in and score a boatload of points, provide two-way game for them. And like I said, make that lineup so much more dangerous and deeper just by the addition of Brett Harrison as well. You did give up some draft picks for Harrison, but you didn't have to give up a young player for him. So you had that flexibility to do it with Shane Wright. Now they load up, they get all these guys going in Shane Wright, Brett Harrison, uh, Matt Maggio is there as well. Going to be continuing doing his thing. It's going to be really interesting to see them go and, and extend the window that we kind of thought closed off after last year with Wyatt Johnson, not coming back this year. So Windsor's my big winner, at least to start off with who's your second winner. Yeah. And just before I get to the second winner, just to add with, with Windsor too, um, they were going to be one of my winners, but I decided to let you have them, Tony, just because uh, I know you're a Windsor guy. The thing that I really liked, and you mentioned moving Mitava, but Windsor's 2022 OHL draft crop looks fantastic. They've got three young players from that crop that are contributing and playing really well. And Christoforo, yeah. Greentree, and AJ Spellacy, who, in my opinion, look like top-end OHL players. So, yeah, okay, you had to move meet them up but you still drafted so well this recent draft that i don't know if they're really going to feel that loss all that much um and i think that's why you can make that move if you're a Windsor. so my, yeah, my yeah, sorry tony I no no i was going to say you also go back in one of their older deals and they add uh Denicio, they add aiden castle they filled out the depth on that lineup and that's gonna be a really fun team to watch going forward yeah absolutely i think they did things the right way uh, number two for my winner would be the Mississauga Steelheads. We've kind of talked about uh, that already. But, I mean, they rebuilt, retooled the right way by adding really good young players. Um, you know, they've added McDonnell. They've added uh, Portmortone. They've added Jack Van Bolson. Um, 
it's it's gonna help set this franchise up for a very quick turnaround in my opinion yeah i think that they're an excellent chance because like you said big time get your get your rebuild quick and get get it going right away don't necessarily have to wait for those draft picks to come up and my second winner is the starting to sting a team that didn't necessarily add as big as windsor didn't necessarily add as big as ottawa but they added pieces going back to sasha passage they added uh now they had, they have uh down the middle they added Del Mastro on, on the back end. They add Del Blues. They've added t- players to fill out this roster and make them a more dangerous team. Do they get into that upper tier of, of contenders? Maybe not, but they definitely are a, a big winner at the deadline, in my opinion. So flipping on to the other side, who is your loser? I think this is a tough one, but I, the one that kind of came immediately to me was the Flint Firebirds. And and I'll tell you why. Yes, they did bring in Nolan Dan, which I think is an underrated move. I think he can provide some secondary scoring from them. And I, I think he's better than he's shown in Niagara this year. But they did move out Brennan Hoffman, and they do have a collection of veterans. Yet, I don't think this is a team that's going to be able to compete with the other teams that loaded up in the West. So now, okay, Amadeus Lombardi is having a fantastic year. He's probably going to turn pro Right now, you've got Braden, uh, Braden Kessler, another strong year, might lose him. Uh, you've got some pieces that you might lose that other teams look like geniuses for moving, right? Um, and saying, okay, yeah, we're still going to try to be competitive, but we're not going to load up. So Flint, I feel like, has found themselves caught in the middle. And I think sort of compounding that was when you look back in hindsight, the Brandon Othman deal looks pretty bad when you see some of these yeah. moves that happen now, I know their hands were tied at the time. Um, it's hard to compare with what happens at the deadline, but I mean, looking back on it, you see these other players moving and Brennan Hoffman is, is one of those amazing players in the OHL that should have brought back these kind of packages. So it's hard not to list them as one of the losers of the deadline, in my opinion. Yeah, my loser is a little bit more of a surprising one, and that's the Kingston Frontenacs. And I think most of the moves they made were really good for the most part. I think Brayden Ash, okay, the return they got for him was good. The, the return for some of the other players was really good. But that Shane Wright deal, I just every time I look at the return, it just feels a little more underwhelming. And the, the fact that they got Ethan Miedema is a good player. Uh, if Gavin McCarthy doesn't come over, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. Uh, getting only one second and one third, and then a bunch of fourths and sixths, for Shane, right? You look at the, the Owl and Zellweger deal out in the WHL, and obviously you can't compare across leagues, but that was a massive deal. You look at even what the Windsor gave up for Brett Harrison, and, and you feel like there's more value in that deal even maybe. It, it, it's just a, a tough one to swallow for the Kingston Frontenacs. But at the end of the day, I think everyone knew they were moving Shane, right? They, they didn't have any leverage to not move him. So you kind of had to take what you could get. But it does surprise me a little bit that some of these other teams didn't quite end up ponying up a little bit more, and maybe even tossing a second, third round, a second or a third round pick into that deal just to say, "Hey, let's get him in London, or let's get him in Ottawa, or, let's get him in Barrie, or wherever else they were talking about him going." Yeah, it does. This deal kind of reeks of their hands being tied um, when you look at it, right? Like, just where is the leverage from their end? And I don't think they had any, and I think that's what this sort of deal sort of resembles and shows all right before we get to the team of the week which is the Edmonton Oilers this week let's quickly run through our power rankings post trade deadline and I'll give you your 
give you your room to run with your top five. Okay, so I'm going Ottawa 67 is number one. Hard to argue with how well they're playing this entire season and the additions that they've made. Peterborough Pete's number two. They're on an eight-game winning streak, and they just had a really good deadline, in my opinion. So um, I think the top two teams in the league right now are, are in the East. And then we go London and Windsor at three and four. I like what London's lineup looks like now. I think they've got a really strong back end. Um, and obviously, uh, the goaltending can be a strong suit there at some point. Windsor adding right. Let's see how that looks. And then number five, I'm going with North Bay. I think this is a team that, okay, they didn't make any splashy moves uh, or flashy moves. Uh, I guess I kind of combined big splash and flash <laughs> there. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're a team that's just solid. And I think that they're the type of team that's going to perform well in the playoffs, too. They get great goaltending. Um, they play hard. They've played well all year. They continue to play well. They've been consistent. And uh, so that's why they're number five for me over, say, somebody like Barry, who um, is getting Brant Clark back, which we haven't really talked about. That's an amazing deadline addition for nothing. Um, but uh, I, I've got to give it to North Bay just by a little bit. Yeah, I think my top spot is, is going to resemble yours with the Ottawa 67s. Ridiculously good team, loads up with two of the top scorers in the entire league and the, the, the best defenseman in the OHL as well. Got to leave them up top. I give Windsor the second spot. Maybe that's some hometown bias, but getting Shane Wright and Brett Harrison to, to kind of lengthen out that center depth, lengthen out that lineup up front. And, and like I said, adding Denicio, adding Aiden Castle, some of the other moves they've made throughout the year. It's been a really good run for Windsor Spitfires who've overperformed where I thought they were going to be. And Matt Maggio keeps going. I think it's a really good spot for them to be in. Number three is North Bay. I think that team, like you said, really, really good team. They didn't make a splash, but they did. They're just a really good team. I think they're going to be fun to watch this season. Peterborough is at number four for me. And I don't know if it's that I just don't believe this team is going to be able to gel. Or maybe I'm a little lower on the the, the trades that, that they made than you are. But I think they're going to be a ridiculous team. Like you said, the eight-game winning streak is great to see. They're going to be one of the contenders for the, the OHL championship at the end of the year anyways. So right there at number four. And then my number five is Barry. Because when you can add Brandon Clark to the lineup and have to give up absolutely nothing, I think you had a pretty good deadline and uh, getting him back from the world juniors after coming off, going there with a chip on his shoulder after not making the team last year when he probably should have. He has a little bit of NHL experience. He has a little bit of AHL experience. Getting him back in the line is going to be huge for them. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting that neither of us have Sarnia. And I'm kind of curious for European as to why. I know we have, we have a lot of Sarnia listeners. And when whenever we do a mailbag, it seems like we get a lot of, Sarnia question. So I don't know if we're going to get some hate mail after this. Um, I'm kind of just curious to have a quick discussion about Sarnia. For me, I'm still concerned about keeping pucks out. Uh, ben Goudreau still didn't look great at the World Juniors. Like we kind of hoped that he would turn things around. So he's coming back and there's still some, yeah, obviously optimism that he can turn it around. But, you know, it's not a sure thing. And defensively, I don't know if they're as deep in terms of team defensive approach as some of the other teams in the West. And yeah, that's, that's still a bit of a question mark for me. Yeah. I think with Sarnia, even though I had them as one of my winners, they almost feel like a second tier contender. It's a team that I look at and I go, okay, it's a very good team, but then you put them in the up against tail of the tape against Windsor, against Ottawa, against London, Barry, any of these other teams, Peterborough. And you're like, Oh no, that's a step below that. That's they're they're kind of at the top end of the mushy middle, and that's not a great spot to necessarily be in. I do think they improve their team. It's going to be 
big to see if they can mesh together because I think that changes a lot for them. But it's going to be a lot to kind of get back into the picture and be a legit contender for them. Yeah, and I'm definitely rooting for them. They've pushed their chips sort of all in with moving a, a lot of young players. So I'm definitely rooting for them. Um, I'm just a little bit less solid on them being a really strong team when it comes to performing in the playoffs as I am, say, compared to the other five that I mentioned and even the ones that you mentioned that that I didn't. Yeah, I know. Let's get to the team of the week. The Edmonton Oilers prospects in the OHL. There's only one this week, and it's uh, Matt Bay Petrov, uh, winger for North Bay Battalion, 13 goals, 37 assists, and, and 50 points in 36 games, 22 penalty minutes, and he's a plus 22 on the year. It's one player of the week a couple of times. He's been among our three stars a couple of times. What's your, what's your take on his game for the Edmonton Oilers prospect? Yeah, he's having another good year. He was great last year as an OHL rookie. Is playing really well again. I think the interesting thing that I've noticed about his game is sort of like a shift. I feel like last year he was more of like a trigger man. Yes, uh, I was kind of surprised at times with his effort and energy away from the puck as a forechecker. Um, maybe not so much on the back check, but on the forecheck uh, at least. And, and being a physical presence too. Not maybe consistently, but at times. This year I feel like he's taking control of play a little bit more. Um, less of that complimentary trigger man and more of uh, I'm going to take the bull by the horns. And I think that's reflective uh, in his numbers this year where the goals are sort of down, but the assists are up. And I think that he's playing more of a team game. And I think he just looks a, a little bit more comfortable in the OHL this year. And I think that we're seeing him be a little bit more patient and, and poised with the puck and really rounding out his game. I, I think that he's – a really solid underrated prospect in the OHL. I think that if he can continue to improve on sort of like those physical attributes, the speed, the quickness, the strength, um, to be a, a more consistent player, I think it's going to bode well at the next level and, and give him a chance of being an NHL regular, maybe in like a, a middle six role. Yeah, I, I think the, the big thing you mentioned there is the team game. He's developed in much more of that that player that's conducive to winning. I think that's the big thing we've seen with North Bay winning as much as they have this year, being as good team they are this year. Matt Bay Petrol is a big driver of that play. I think he's done so much more on the wing this year, looking to get his teammates involved. I think, like you said, he was a trigger man last year. Now he's looking to make other people a trigger man. I think the other thing is he still has the ability to put the puck in the net. I think his 13 goals are a little bit kind of on paper, disrespecting his actual goal scoring ability. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him all of a sudden go off and score 10 goals in an eight goal or an eight game period or something like that and boost those totals up even. So it's going to be really interesting to see what his, his kind of development is. Like you said, as an NHL prospect, I think the big thing for him is getting that skating up a tier, getting that, that physicality more consistent, kind of developing the consistency in his game overall, because I think he's taken a big step this year in, in terms of understanding how to play a team game. And that's going to go far for, for his NHL prospects. Yeah, I agree completely, Tony. All right, now let's get this episode wrapped up. We appreciate you listening. Hopefully you enjoy the OHL trade deadline. It's a big, big, fun event for everybody. Brock, do you have any final thoughts on the OHL trade deadline? No, I think we pretty much covered it. But I uh, just wanted to add, if you want to watch uh, the full-length episode today and explore our past episodes on all of our shows, you can go to THN.com slash podcast. All right. Without further ado, I am Tony Ferrari. That's Brock Cotton. We really appreciate listening. 
Make sure you tune in every week to teach it on the L rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff, wherever you're listening to your podcast, whether it's watching us on YouTube or listening on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it's at. We really appreciate it. Have a good one.